Hey there, and welcome to Another World Audiobooks, bringing you here the second part of Crystal Horizon by Doug J. Cooper. I really enjoyed this story, really enjoyed narrating it. So much fun to explore different genres and different character voices and attitudes and all that sort of thing. Had a blast with this, so I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't catch the first part of uh, of this story, you can go back. That published yesterday, so go ahead and check that out in your podcast player. You'll be able to download the first part and then come back and listen to the second part. Make sure that uh, if you enjoyed this, you go check out Doug Cooper's other work. He has a bunch of books out that uh, I would just love it if you went over there and uh, just showed him some support as an any author, just as a, a fellow creator putting stuff out into the world, it's great to hear from other people to let, let just let you know that you're on the right track. So go ahead and check him out on Twitter. His The links are down below, or you can go to crystalseries.com and check out all of his work there. If you guys are enjoying these bonus episodes, please let me know. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any suggestions or any authors, or maybe you are an indie author and you'd like to hear your work read on this podcast, I would love to talk to you. So please get in touch with me. All the links are down below. So now, without further ado, I give you part two of Crystal Horizon. Over the next weeks, Sid found himself paired with Cheryl on a regular basis. Sometimes it was just the two of them, and other times they were part of a larger team. In a relentless progression of missions, they were challenged with hypothetical situations that tested their leadership, team building, and strategic skills. They also confronted heart-stopping physical obstacles, like scaling the face of a cliff on a rainy day and traversing a dense forest on a moonless night. They proved to be a great team, and they or their group usually prevailed in those scenarios structured to have winners and losers. Observers saw Sid as a fierce competitor who carried the day, but in his head, he attributed a significant portion of their success to Cheryl. As they grew closer, she revealed an irreverent streak that he thoroughly enjoyed. His first exposure was when she mocked a way-too-serious instructor behind his back. They laughed out loud in the middle of what was supposed to be an important exercise. The instructor rewarded their antic with a scathing glare, and this served to deepen their bond and feed their shared delight. At week six, she suggested they sneak down to the lake after lights out to stargaze. Lying side by side on the dock, they hung their feet into the water, took turns making up silly names for constellations, and talked about everything and nothing. She pointed up at somewhere he couldn't see. Before camp, I was first lieutenant on the fleet ship Prospect. We spent three months shadowing the Kardashian in orbit. Prospect is now being provisioned for a trip to Mars Colony. Do you wish you were with him? Definitely. She responded without hesitation. Then, her face creased into an impish grin. But on the upside, I got to meet a guy whose gut tells the future. Sid didn't understand why she'd responded well to his advances. He didn't care. He was happy. It was the last week of camp, and Sid, alone in the cabin, sat on his bunk. He heard a single knock on the door, and before he could respond, a tall, solid-framed man entered. From his rugged appearance, Sid judged him to be a battle-hardened soldier in his mid-thirties. "'May I help you?' said Sid, a statement, not a question. He'd never seen the man before, and this was no social visit. "'I'm Captain Sparrow,' the man replied. "'Call me Jack.' Massett? Sid thought briefly about the protocol of standing and saluting, but Jack was dressed in his civvies, so he thrust his chin at the back of an empty chair. Turning the chair, Jack looked around the cabin as he lowered himself into the seat. Shifting his gaze to Sid, he said, I'm from a covert unit of the DSA, the Defense Specialist Agency. I'd like to chat with you about who we are and what we do. You have my attention, Sid thought, though he remained silent. The DSA supports the needs of the Secretary of Defense. Our job is to be out in front for him, probing high-risk situations, gathering information, and delivering outcomes on his behalf. We're not fighters, unless we have to be. In the perfect mission, we infiltrate, do our job, and then we're gone. 
If we do it right, no one knows we were there. Hell, we don't want anyone to know we exist. But sometimes we end up fighting. When we do, we fight hard and we fight to win. Think super spy, Sid. Only with broader skills, better toys, and fewer rules. He stopped talking and studied Sid, who maintained a poker face and remained silent. A moment later, Jack continued. You've been through basic officer school and special ops training, and you've displayed characteristics at each stage that we find appealing. You don't know it, but you're here at camp for a final review. While the best outcome wouldn't have included dalliance with Cheryl Wallace, your term here has been rated a success by those who matter. Sid felt the hair on the back of his neck bristle at the mention of Cheryl, and he worked to maintain a passive demeanor. As if sensing Sid's displeasure, Jack sat back in his chair, creating more distance between them. I know my comment about the lieutenant touched a sensitive spot. Your calm response right now is a trait I value. So you send that to test me? No, said Jack, shaking his head. In this situation, she's relevant. Sid's instinct told him where this was heading, but he needed to hear it. Help me understand. If you accept our offer, you leave here tomorrow morning. You can't tell anyone where you're going. You can't even mention that you're leaving. Not to anyone, Sid. Ever. That's why she's relevant. Sid contemplated the word offer and all it implied. He pretended to study a scar on his wrist as he let the silence grow. Then he lifted his head and met Jack's gaze. What exactly is this offer? Spell it out for me. We want you to become a covert warrior for the DSA. Defense specialists are the vanguard of clandestine intelligence and protection for the Union. Join us, and you'll be involved in missions that can save millions of lives. Literally. I can't make you appreciate who we are and what we do using words. You have to live it to understand. But let me paint some big pictures for you. There are countries that have chosen not to join the Union. A few have become aggressive, and their actions create a dangerous situation for innocents. In the past years alone, my DSA team went into hostile territory seven times to assess the situation and perform sensitive, I call them tasks, that change the dynamic on the ground and save lives. Jack's calm sent an alert, and he checked it as he talked. Right now, a high priority is the alien spacecraft that's orbiting Earth. The agency is spending a lot of resources trying to get actionable intelligence on the Kardish, so the Secretary has something to work with. He looked Sid in the eye. The offer is to become a member of my team. The offer is live, but I need an answer. Shaking his head, Sid said, Let's start by slowing down. I don't know you, and I don't know what to make of your pitch. What you describe sounds interesting, but I'm not sure what parts are real. Maybe all of it. Maybe it's all bull. Your only credibility right now is that you're here inside camp. That's a plus given the security of this place, but it's not enough. This time, it was Jack's turn to remain silent. Sid mulled the situation and made a decision. Give me some names. People I know and trust who can back up your story. You want references? Really? Jack looked at him for a long moment. Okay, check your calm. I've sent you three names. I'm not going to look while you're sitting there, thought Sid, but he was anxious to learn if the story checked out. He'd known from the start that doing well at camp led to big opportunities afterwards. In fact, that had been an important factor when he decided to attend, but he hadn't expected to hear about his options at an impromptu meeting at his bunk. And beyond that, Jack was right. Cheryl fulfilled him in many ways he never thought possible. I'm crazy about her. That complicated matters, and he needed to think things through. And I'll take two nights to sleep on it. I'm not going to make the decision right now. I'll check your reference list. If it flies, and if I'm inclined, I'll meet you here at 1100 hours two days from now. 
Let me know if your answer is no. Otherwise, I'll meet you in two days in the infirmary at 1700 Sharp. That building has its own exit road. Jack got up and moved to the door. Hey, Sid called. Is it worth leaving everything behind? Did you overlook back? Jack didn't turn around. You're a sophisticated warrior who craves adventure. It's a dream come true. Sid played with those words as Jack exited the cabin. The moment the door closed, Sid checked his comm and considered the three names Jack had sent. Two of them were captains who had mentored him from his earliest days. He'd known them for years and trusted them. The third name was an admiral he'd interacted with for a short period about a year earlier. He appreciated that Jack put a heavy hitter on the list, but he doubted he'd learn anything useful from that guy. Sid already understood that Jack had serious connections and that this was an inside operation. What he wanted to know was if Jack's words matched reality. He called Captain Paul Stanley, his first choice on the list, and was pleased when the officer answered. Hey, Captain, said Sid. It's good to see you. How are you doing? Hey, Sid, Paul said. It's been a while. You're looking fit. I hear you've been made an offer you shouldn't refuse. Sid studied Paul's face. They'd been through a lot together, and Sid felt confident he could read the man. What can you tell me, sir? Honestly, I don't know much, Paul said, shaking his head. Whatever you got going is connected. Two admirals and a government goon are telling me to tell you that it's the right choice. I haven't a clue what it is, so I can't provide you guidance. I can just confirm that they want me to use my good name to tell you that it's real. I've seen a lot of stuff over the years, big guy, but this is weird. Are you in some kind of trouble? Seeking to keep the conversation on track, Sid pressed him. Would you mind telling me who the admirals are? I'll tell you that one is O'Hara... The other one is at Central Command, and I'll only say that I know him and believe he's being straight. I don't know the goon, except to say he has a clearance level higher than mine. Why would they go to all this effort for me? Asked Sid with a sincere innocence. Part of me feels like I'm being played here. Paul laughed. You got talents, bud. So it makes sense to me. If they've offered you something and it sounds like a fit, take it. When they go to this much trouble to recruit you, they'll treat you well going forward. They chatted for a few more minutes, then Sid thanked him and signed off. He called the other captain on the list, and the conversation was similarly supportive. His mentor reinforced that the Union was going to great lengths to have Sid feel good about the situation. He too admitted he didn't know any details about what the situation was. Sid climbed into bed that night, thinking that as technology evolves, it becomes even harder to pin down truth. He could come up with a dozen ways an organization might orchestrate a group of people into reinforcing a thought or idea without them even knowing they were being manipulated. This whole thing could be a deception, and he'd never know. Yet one item seemed indisputable. A powerful people wanted him to work for them, and as he closed his eyes, he relaxed his mind, hoping an answer would come to him in his sleep. Cheryl awoke next to Sid. They were a half-day's hike into the woods, and though the air was cool outside, it was warm inside their tent. They actually had two tents, but never bothered to set hers up. It would have been a wasted effort. Their training scenario, the last one of camp, was constructed much like a treasure hunt, they needed to decipher clues to find the next secret location, which held clues to the next location, and so on until they found the hidden treasure. The first team to find it and bring it back to camp won bragging rights for that year's graduating class. The two didn't care about hidden treasure or bragging rights. They both wanted to use their time enjoying each other. She lay in his arms and thought about the man who captured her heart. He was kind and considerate in daily life. She loved his quiet confidence and was honest enough with herself to admit she was attracted to the hint of danger that lurked beneath his surface. He brought out the best in her. It was joyous to be in his arms. He interrupted her thoughts when he lifted his head. Did you hear that? He whispered. No? 
she whispered back. What did you hear? Is it someone or something? He sat up and started pulling on his clothes. Let me go look. Cheryl dressed as well. I'm not sure which would be worse, finding a bear or Captain Dooley outside. Sid opened a flap just enough to see into the morning light. I think I caught his breakfast in my snare. She heard excitement in his voice, then she processed his words. A snare? Yuck, I'm not interested in eating a little forest creature for breakfast. She was no longer worried about bears or captains. Quick! He spoke as if he were leading a campaign against the enemy. Stay behind me while I check. He crept out of the tent and worked his way towards some brush near a stand of trees. She watched him with a mixture of confusion, fascination, and anticipation. This wasn't part of the treasure hunt exercise, and it wasn't his characteristic behavior. Enjoy his delusion, she thought, entertained by the silly performance. He crawled over the ground, staying hidden behind rocks and shrubs, as he moved closer to the brush and his snare. Cheryl stayed on her feet and followed him from a distance. When he was within reach of the trap, he turned and mouthed, We got something big! She tensed in excitement. He cautioned her with a hand signal, then reached forward and pulled back the brush. Breakfast is served, my lady, he said, lifting a restaurant pouch out for her to see. What the hell? She moved next to him. Is that from Smitty's? Smitty's was a small restaurant about three miles due west. They'd eaten there a few times over the months and loved their breakfast. Opening the pouch, he reached inside and lifted out two coffees. Wrapping both hands around the cup, she inhaled the aromatic steam and took a sip. Mmm. Back in the tent, they feasted on their bounty. Eggs, muffins, fresh fruit? I'm in heaven! Smiling like a child on her birthday, she sampled everything. He fed her a bit of waffle, and when syrup dripped onto her chin, she chased it with her tongue. She saw he was fascinated by her attempt at the impossible chin-lick maneuver, and then, unashamed, laughed out loud and tried again. As they ate, Sid confessed that he walked to the restaurant and back in the early hours of the morning. It was my pleasure, Cheryl. He was acting way out of character, but she thought it was cute. They both knew that graduation was coming. She accepted that they would be headed in different directions. Modern transportation and communication services made long-distance relationships easier, but it remained a challenge. She appreciated that he was making their last days special. They feasted, cleaned, and packed, then walked along a trail up to a ridge crest. With an open view of the valley, they could see a portion of the camp's lake in the distance. Sitting on an angled rock, Cheryl lifted her face and savored the warmth of the sun. Can you see them? Asked Sid, pointing into the valley. She squinted in the direction he indicated and saw Sophie and Alstein, two of their classmates, walking in the distance. They'll be following that trail across the valley floor. He moved his arm as he traced the path with his finger. Then he turned to her. Cheryl, I've been ordered to return to camp. We've been instructed to meet up with those two. You'll finish this round with them. She looked at him and frowned. That's the second time he's called me Cheryl. When they were alone, he always called her something silly like Angel or Sweet Bun. It wasn't that she preferred the pet names, but she understood that everything was good between them when he used one. Her other concern was that he'd been sent to change of plans while she hadn't. She checked her calm and found the feed confirming his story. It should have prompted me about such an important message. The morning's events were all off, wrong enough that her training kicked in. As she followed him down the trail, she reviewed everything they'd done together over the past week, searching for clues. The tension grew as his silence lengthened. It took a couple of hours to catch up with Sophie and Alstein. When their classmates came into view on the footpath, Cheryl squared up and confronted him. What's going on, Sid? He stepped to her, caressed her cheeks, and kissed her, holding it for a long moment. He squeezed her hand as he stepped back, and then turned and walked ahead on the trail, his pace quickening with each step. He nodded to Sophie and Alstein as he strode past them, and then the trail curved into the forest. 
Following him with her eyes, she brought her fingers up and traced her lips where he kissed her. She stood unmoving until he vanished from sight. Her mind swirled in turmoil as she struggled to understand. When Cheryl got back to her cabin that night, dread filled her heart. She looked for him in his bunk and then checked his usual haunts. She tried calling him, but her calm told her there was no such person. She asked their friends if they knew his whereabouts, and then she asked everyone she saw. She didn't sleep that night. She just stared into the darkness. The next morning, she asked to see Captain Dooley. Following an aide into his office, she stood in front of his desk and, breaking protocol, asked him what he knew. Looking at the work on his desk, Dooley compounded her anguish with a cryptic remark. We've spent eight months training you to keep your eyes facing the future, Lieutenant. We don't dwell on history here. He lifted his head and said gently, Dismissed. She nodded and made a hasty exit. Back at her bunk, she spent the rest of the day working her calm, trying to figure out where he might be or how she might contact him. In spite of her substantial technical talents, as near as she could tell, Sid didn't exist and never had. Confused and devastated, she curled up on her bunk and cycled through feelings of grief, anger, denial, and betrayal. Staring into the dark again that night, she started to cry. A few hours before dawn, completely exhausted, sleep came to erase her pain. She attended the graduation ceremony that afternoon. Dressed in formal whites, she assembled with the class. Cheers and friendly jeers rang out when the winning Hidden Treasure team revealed their loot. Cheryl didn't notice who had won or what the treasure was. As was tradition, the ceremony ended with a roll call of next appointments for each of the graduates. Announced one by one, the class clapped and hooted in support of their colleagues. It was a heady day for the group. Lieutenant Cheryl Wallace is now Commander Wallace, announced Dooley. She's the first new officer on Fleet Ship Pinnacle. Congratulations, Commander Wallace. She walked to the front, saluted, shook the captain's hand, then faced the class and accepted their accolades. As she waved to the group, she saw an empty chair where Sid should have been. It was a fitting metaphor for the void in her heart. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sid moaned. He opened his eyes and closed them immediately when a wash of pain radiated through his body. A welt on the back of his head throbbed in rhythm with his heartbeat. He reached back to explore the wound. Or tried to. His arms wouldn't move. He opened his eyes for a second time and peered into the darkness. Wiggling both hands and probing with his fingers, he determined that his wrists were bound to the armrests of the chair. Lifting and twisting his feet, he confirmed his ankles were fastened to his legs. As his eyes focused, he detected a faint slit of light a few paces in front of him. That's a door. The closeness of the ambient noise in the space helped him complete the picture. I'm tied to a chair, and I'm in a closet. With these cues, memories flooded back. He was on a small island in the Pacific Ocean, a rogue plot of land set closer to the Philippines when traveling from Hawaii. 
The island had switched owners at least four times in the past decade, and the different landlords all had two things in common. They were controlled by criminal syndicates hostile to the Union of Nations, and they used the prime location as a worldwide clearinghouse for arms trafficking. This was his fourth field assignment for the Defense Specialist Agency. DSA Intel had learned that the syndicate boss was on a rare visit to the island. Sid and his team, briefed and deployed with just two hours' notice, were to persuade him to close shop and leave peacefully, or to be escorted off the island, feet first if necessary. The mission was not going well. The crime boss had his own idea about how events should unfold, and, not surprisingly, they were quite different from those of the Union of Nations. The squad of soldiers he had with him supported his differing views. The boss was staying at a Walden estate on the island, and his soldiers jumped Sid as he was breaking into the main villa. Sid's struggle ended when one of the thugs cracked him on the back of his skull. He had no sense of the time that had passed since that blow. From his thirst, he judged it to be several hours. His thoughts turned to his two partners. Jack was team lead, and Hefe, who had just joined the DSA, was getting his feet wet on what should have been an easy in and out. Sid's duty at this moment was to escape, rejoin the team, and complete the mission. He struggled for almost an hour trying to free himself and, sore and discouraged, stopped to rest. His mind drifting, he flashed a half-smile when he recalled the teasing Jack had given him on the hike up to the lighthouse. Members of the DSA forward teams all adopted colorful pseudonyms. It was a tradition in the unit. Jack Sparrow, the same battle-hardened soldier who had visited Sid at the camp a few months ago earlier, was Win Riley in his civilian life. And Jefe Diablo, Chief Devil, had announced his name in a drunken ceremony just last week. Sid had yet to choose a name, and Jack was threatening to assign him Wimpy if he didn't pick one soon. I don't think so, Sid thought, resuming his efforts to break free. He halted his struggle moments later when an oof, followed by a muffled thud, drifted through the wall. Heavy thumps on the closet door itself spurred Sid to act. He began rocking his chair back and forth, straining to gain enough momentum to rise up to a crouch, the chair riding his back like a tortoiseshell. He hadn't thought through what he'd do if he got that far, and it didn't matter. The door burst open and a man lunged through. Plowing his shoulder into Sid's chest, he drove Sid in the chair against the back wall of the closet. Sid tried valiantly to headbutt his assailant during the short ride. It's me, hissed the man. Jack. Anxious to be free, Sid spoke with urgency. I'm tied to this chair. Jack untangled himself and released Sid's wrist. He leaned out the door and scanned the room while Sid freed his own ankles. There are four or five bad guys out on the villa grounds, said Jack. There were three here inside. Sid noted Jack's use of the past tense. He rose to his feet and, feeling dizzy, braced himself against the wall. Where's Hefe? I'm guessing he's locked in a different closet. Jeff looked Sid up and down, then handed him water. How are you doing? Ready to go, he said between gulps, refusing to acknowledge he felt battered and weak. Good, said Jack. You lead them east toward the coast. I'll go free Hefe, and we'll head south. Extraction at the lighthouse in four hours. He shrugged. We'll have to deal with this jerk another day. Jack's words gave Sid a fresh surge of energy. Come on, Jack. We got this guy. Let's not go back empty-handed. Jack looked at him with a fixed expression that conveyed his authority. I've called it. We're out in four. He picked his way across the room and glanced into the hall. We have any weapons? Whatever you can find. Jack whispered over his shoulder. Sid looked at his bare feet. Or shoes? Jack stepped into the hallway without responding and disappeared from sight. Contemplating the dead soldier on the carpet, Sid plopped to the floor, pulled off the man's boots, and squeezed his feet into them. He stripped the soldier of his military-style shirt and pulled that on as well. Searching for a weapon, he checked the floor around the body and then patted the man's pockets. He stood and turned in a circle, scanning the furniture for signs of a wayward firearm. Jack must have it, he concluded, and he made for the door.
Hurrying down the stairway, he peered through the front windows for signs of the soldiers Jack had mentioned. He didn't see any activity, and long shadows and glistening dew on the plants and statues told him it was dawn. He hustled to a back door, and, hugging the outside of the building, ran to a group of tall bushes at the eastern corner of the villa. Standing in the shrubbery, he surveyed the grounds. On the far side of the property, a trail wound up a rise and vanished into craggy hills. He had a vague memory of a path that led up to a plateau, ran across a clearing, and ended with a perilous drop to the ocean. I should pay more attention during mission briefings. He did know that the southern half of the island was covered in forest so lush it bordered on jungle. The northern half was a stark moonscape of volcanic rock. The estate, positioned at the cusp of these geographic extremes, enjoyed striking vistas formed by the contrast of landscapes. A well-tended shed stood halfway to the trailhead, and, running from bush to fence to tree, he reached it without incident. Lights came on as he slipped inside, drawing his attention to an intricate copper contraption sitting in the back of what proved to be a handsome single-room cabin. A wall of built-in shelves to his left held elegant bottles filled with a clear, green-tinted liquid. Sid picked up a bottle and, holding it up to the light, admired the luminous potion. He opened the bottle and sniffed, and yanked his head away from the intoxicating vapors invading his nose. This is an upscale hobby rig to make liquor, he thought as he reassessed the space. The room had a kitchenette along the wall opposite the bottles, and a gas stove stood between the sink and refrigerator. Firing up a burner on the stove, he let the flame dance as he bent over the sink and drank straight from the tap. He walked to the door, peeked out to confirm he was still alone, and then, grabbing bottles two at a time, he broke them on the floor. With a liquid from two dozen bottles forming a shimmering puddle, he pulled down a note from the front of the fridge, lit a corner in the stovetop burner, and tossed the flaming scrap onto the bright green pool. Feeding off the alcohol, the flame whooshed across the puddle. Sid propped open the cabin door to ensure there'd be plenty of oxygen to feed the growing blaze, and then started his dash to the trailhead. It took about a minute for him to reach the edge of the estate grounds. Stopping just before the spot where the path ducked behind a ridge, he looked back and admired his handiwork. The conflagration served its purpose. Four soldiers appeared from the front of the house, moving at a dead run to the cabin. Gathering a safe distance from the fire, they began to argue. One stepped back from the group and scanned the landscape. Sid waved. The soldier pointed and shouted. With his attention focused on the four soldiers, Sid didn't notice a fifth man off to his right. The thug fired an energy bolt that missed Sid, but left an impressive impact crater near his shoulder. Diving to the ground, Sid crawled behind the ridge. Rising, he dashed up the trail, leading the soldiers eastward as instructed. With the guards chasing him, Jack was free to search for Hefe and escape to the lighthouse. The trail twisted and turned as it climbed through a maze of natural and volcanic rock, providing him cover, but also making it difficult for him to track his pursuers. He raced along the trail for about 30 minutes, determined to expand his lead on the soldiers. Reaching a spot with a view of the terrain below, he traced the winding path with his eyes. He repeated his methodical sweep until he saw two heads bobbing along the trail. Two more ran a bit behind the leaders. A straggler, huffing and puffing his way through the rock maze, brought up the rear. Six minutes, he thought, guessing at his lead. He denied his exhaustion and resumed his run, maintaining an aggressive pace until the trail showed signs of leveling. Jogging along a flat stretch, he glimpsed a natural structure that caused him to look up. Tucked back in a side crevice stood two opposing rock faces, smooth and straight, that rose together to about four times his height. A ledge outcropping, positioned at the top of the columns, promised an unobstructed view down to the estate and the land around it. He moved into the gap behind the rock columns and, stretching his arms, pushed a hand against each vertical face. Lifting himself off the ground, he spread his legs and braced each foot. Alternating between his arms and legs, he crab-walked up the gap. At the top of the formation, he leapt onto the flat outcropping and crawled to the edge. Nice, he thought, looking out across the geological wonderland that spilled into an endless blue-green ocean. Then he put his thumb and index finger into his mouth. His whistle projected like a piercing bark down the hill. 
He held his breath, his nerves on edge. A deep, mournful call rose from below. Putting a hand behind each ear, he squared his head to the tropical expanse south of the villa. The sound came again. He pumped his fist in celebration. Yes! Two hoots. Two on the move. Jack and Hefe were clear and on their way to the lighthouse. No longer needed as a diversion, Sid began planning his own escape. The ledge anchored back to the hillside he'd been climbing, and he moved that direction to rejoin the trail. Squeezing around a rock outcropping, he froze in place, the back of his neck prickling. He stood on the edge of a grassy plot the size of a large room. The space, cozy and hidden, was edged with hanging vines and flowering plants. The tidy botanical presentation left no doubt that this patch received regular attention. But that wasn't what gave him pause. It was the tent, ominous in its silent presence, sitting at the back of the parcel. Padding across the grass, he stood at the side of the tent and listened. Hearing nothing, he snuck a quick peek through a gap in the front flap. Empty. He opened the tent, rifled the bedding, and found a bag of dark bread and a pouch of water. Absent was his top priority. Weapons. He stuffed a piece of bread into his mouth and followed it with water. His eyes drifted downward as he chewed, and he froze for the second time in as many minutes. The tent was a Belov 5000, two-person, green camo, set in a west-to-east orientation, with ground anchors at the front corners, but none in the rear. Cheryl. The scene evoked memories of their last night at camp, and Sid chose to let the deja vu stir a sadness in his heart. The day after Jack had visited him at camp, Sid's intuition had suggested that he could have had the best of both worlds. He could join the DSA and experience the crazy life of a covert agent, and somehow, it would all work out with Cheryl. But standing on this lawless speck of rock, being chased by five armed soldiers, and having just botched an important assignment, he couldn't imagine a sequence of events that might make this fantasy come true. He kicked the ground in frustration, then lifted his head and hustled toward a footpath along the hillside. Seven minutes, he thought, guessing at his lead on the soldiers. A wooden staff leaned against a rock near the footpath. Snatching it up as he dashed past, he swung it back and forth to gauge his balance. Five thugs with weapons against me and my stick. He had no doubt he'd win the contest. The footpath led to the main trail, and he turned away from the soldiers. Drawing on the energy he gained from the bread and water, he set an aggressive pace. The trail forked ahead, with one path continuing up to the plateau, and the other zigzagging on a second route down to the forest. A shadowy flicker caused him to look up. The massive Kardish vessel moved above in its silent orbit around Earth. I haven't forgotten about you. Having confirmed the flicker as an ordinary event, Sid refocused his attention on his escape. At the split in the trail, he took the path downward, tossing the staff over the side of the first curve. We're not fighters unless we have to be, he called to the weapon as it bounced and tumbled out of sight. The trail flattened for a stretch, providing him a glimpse of where the path meant the force below. Smiling, he pumped his arms and lengthened his stride. I'll bet I can beat Jack and Hefe to the lighthouse. Thanks for listening. For info, updates, and purchase links, please visit www.crystalseries.com. This has been Crystal Horizon by Doug J. Cooper, narrated by Brady Smith. This has been a production of Another World Audiobooks. Copyright 2019. Text copyright 2015 by Doug J. Cooper. All rights reserved. For more awesome audiobooks from Another World Audiobooks, just go to anotherworldaudiobooks.wordpress.com or check out our podcast at anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks. Crystal Deception Five years from now, Jessica Juice Talent, a leading crystal scientist, creates Chris, the world's first self-aware artificial intelligence. With the intellect of a thousand humans, Chris holds great promise for humanity. Yet Juice employs extraordinary security precautions when working with him because she knows that once free, 
Chris is too powerful to control. Only days old, Chris learns he is in danger. The Kardish plan to kidnap him. The evidence suggests that the aliens will snatch Chris as he is being moved aboard the Alliance, a fleet military space cruiser under the command of Captain Cheryl Wallace. Alarmed and out of her depth, Juice carries the unsettling news to the authorities. The case finds its way to the Defense Specialist Agency, and the DSA assigns Sid to take the lead. Sid decides that Earth's greatest weapon is the very AI crystal the aliens seek to possess. But what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? And what is humanity's role if an interstellar battle among titans starts to rage? Crystal Deception is a full-length, heart-stopping adventure filled with aliens, spies, artificial intelligence, romance, and space battles. Take a ride and enjoy the thrills as Earth's heroes confront insurmountable odds in their fight to save the world. Alright, thanks guys so much for tuning in today and catching this bonus episode. Like I said, go back and listen to the first one if you haven't already, or go back even further and you can find, uh, well, I don't know what number, we're at like four or five different indie authors that have done bonus episodes, so you can check those out. Those published during the, the midweek, and then we published the weekly classic episode on Sunday, so you can go ahead and check out that. We've got Treasure Island, Pride and Prejudice, a bunch of Sherlock books, all sorts of stuff. So basically, whatever you want to hear, we got it. And if there's other stuff that you want to hear, uh, great way to help me produce more content get more stuff out into the world is to consider donating it's very simple to do just go to anchor.fm slash another world audiobooks and you can just click on support this podcast any money is going to go toward helping me find somebody who can edit uh and paying them to help me edit the podcast so that i can produce more content editing is what takes up a lot of my time and if i'm able to outsource that then i'll be able to produce more content for you guys or if maybe you'd like to just volunteer to edit if that's a skill set that you have and you'd be interested in doing that love to hear from you uh but like I always say, if you can't do that, just tell somebody about the podcast. Spreading the word. You guys, just word of mouth is the best way to get uh, more listeners and help me be able to produce more content. So thanks again to Doug for allowing me to read this to you guys. I really hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed this new microphone. I cannot wait to do some more books. I'm thinking of redoing Pride and Prejudice and uh, re-releasing that because when I started with that, my mic was not what it should be. <laughs> but, you know, you got to start somewhere. So now that I have this new mic, this new setup, I'd love to, to do that one again. Uh, if you have any other suggestions as far as books that you'd like to hear, again, would love to hear from you. Just uh, get in touch with me. All the contact information is down below in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks guys and have a great rest of the week we'll talk to you on sunday with another exciting chapter from treasure island so stay tuned for that hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Don't worry. You aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. 
Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com